Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we are here to continue our Best of Doctor series by reviewing Star Trek, the original series, season one episode, Miri. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Trek story, John the Shorts. How you doing, man? Man, I am doing well. Wishing some of this rain would end so I could get out and cut my grass, but... Other than that, man, doing good. Excited to be talking Trek with you guys again. Yeah, I'm happy we are back and have an interesting episode to talk about. Also on the episode, <laughs> we have the... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, uh, we'll get into it. We have the Who Story in Cal Jones. How you doing, man? <laughs> oh, dude, I'm doing well. Happy 4th of July for everyone who's listening, even though it's probably well past 4th of July, at least a couple of days after you know this goes out. But happy 4th of July for everyone in the United States. And yes, I'm glad to be here. Really interested to get into this because I'm curious to what you guys think. And I hope you guys don't run me off after I do my beats of the episode. But can't wait to get into this. Yeah, yeah, it should, again, like I said before, it should be an interesting conversation. <laughs> and it, as we continue our Best of Doctors series, and of course, last time we reviewed Doctor's Orders, uh, featuring Flocks, and this time, of course, Mary featuring Dr. Leonard McCoy. And the next episode, we're going to be reviewing Unnatural Selection, a Next Generation episode featuring the great Pulaski, Dr. Pulaski. Gear up for that one, folks. No real news other than, and I should have looked this up before we started, but I think Lower Decks is going to be starting back in August. So that's some Trek to be looking forward to. And let me confirm. That oh, right. my goodness. I'm so excited. <laughs> Aren't we all? We were waiting with bated breath. We're so, you know, mm. I really, really <laughs> hope they take a different approach this time and Jonathan goes away saying oh man this was the greatest episode of Star Trek or the greatest series I was so wrong that would be so cool it would but I'm not holding I'm not either but I'm, but, but I'm being positive <laughs> but I think you're right Jonathan I think you're 100% right but being positive and it looks like season 2 is going to start on August the 12th which is right around the corner yeah I'm, I'm just ha- happy we have new Trek Maybe a little disappointed that is Lord Dex, though I will say that Lord Dex did finish strong. I'm gonna go back through it and watch it again because I want to be on board, but it's just so different. And can we just say it's not canon? Can it be a mirror universe? Can it be some other alternate time? Huh. Anyway, maybe it can be like a mm. Earth 2 kind of thing. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this other Earth that looks just like Earth that we'd never talk about again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I, I got a couple of things I want to throw in the news section. Uh, not major things, but I just want to... I found... I kind of ran across this, and maybe I'm late to it, but the whole uh, William Shatner and Mike Tyson's uh, ad campaign for copper jail pain <laughs> relief stuff... Have y'all seen this? Yes, I've been seeing some of these. They've been interesting. <laughs> They've been arm wrestling and doing other shenanigans. It's been somewhat entertaining. And these things are hilarious. Yeah. William Shatter looks great for 90. Isn't he 90? At least. Yeah, yeah I think he is. He looks great for his age, man. He looks younger than Picard. 
I mean, then he uh, does. Then Patrick Stewart, excuse me. <laughs> He's uh, and I mean, there was one clip of him and like Mike Tyson kind of sparring, and he he moves pretty well. <laughs> I just, but it's hilarious, man. Just freaking hilarious. Yeah, 90 years old, man. Those have been quite entertaining, I will say. So hopefully I can catch a few more of those. I've been seeing, seeing them pop up on uh, Instagram uh, and th- in, t- in Twitter. So, yeah, those yeah. are cool. Those are cool. And one more thing. Uh, and so I also ran across and Clarence, I messaged you about this was uh, kind of like seems to me a, like a Starfleet fraternity type deal you can join and pay dues for and all that uh anyway the reason i ran across it uh they have a place in ohio and i forget the exact address but nichelle nichols is making one of her last public appearances at the new federation world headquarters Mm. and it's supposedly (laughs) supposedly be a group that was kind of uh Gene Roddenberry kind of helped them get started and kind of gave them their blessing, supposedly. Uh, this is all information coming from their website. So how much truth to it? I don't know, but be interesting to see. Yeah. So my knowledge in this area is very lacking. So anyone listening, they're familiar with all the, you know, Starfleet chapters and all that uh, good stuff. Let me know. But I know there's a Jackson, Mississippi chapter. I called myself looking and it didn't show Jackson. The nearest one it showed was Metairie, Louisiana. Now, now I don't know if the Federation thing is different from the Starfleet thing because they might be two totally separate things. I think the one in Jackson may be Starfleet, but it's sort of the same thing where like every city has their own ship. So me, right. so me and Kyle actually saw them, the Jackson chapter at uh, Comic-Con a few years back. And hmm. yeah, so it, it's, it's, kind of weird but i guess interesting <laughs> again that's not my world but each right. each city has like a ship they have a captain they have crew with different you know they assign everybody to the crew so eh, somewhat interesting mm-hmm. again you know a little out of my realm but anyone listening who has more information on this or even want to come on to an open channel to talk about it uh let us know I, that'd be uh something i'd very much like to hear straight from the horse's mouth on this particular website, the Federation website, I was just looking at the, you know, the details of it. And on the websites, they have that this Federation thing that they've got going on group was created June 1st, 1984 and created by Gene Roddenberry and Russ Haslidge. Hmm. Interesting. Now, they have that on their public website. I don't know how they I mean, I guess to use his name, you would kind of have to be the truth, maybe. I yeah, know. I mean, I, I I wouldn't doubt that it's the real thing. But again, I just know nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, we need to know somebody inform us enlighten us because I would like to join if it's legit and they do some things. We want you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's all I got. Cool. Well, thanks for those updates, John. Of course, what we do here in this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek and some with excessive detail. And in addition to talking all things Trek, please leave a review and also subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are currently listening on to make sure you don't miss an episode. And again, if you have any feedback of any about this episode, particularly or any news that we talk about, uh, we want to know more from you guys. So please send that in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. 
So guys, we are ready to dive right into our review of Star Trek, the original series, Miri. Miri is the eighth episode of the first season of Star Trek. It was written by Adrian Spies and directed by Vincent McUtee. The episode first aired on October 27th, 1966. The Enterprise discovers a planet exactly like Earth, but the only inhabitants are children who contract a fatal disease upon entering puberty. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an demon. At ease before you sprain something. As always, we go to Cal Jones for the beats of the episode. You know, sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. You never know. Cal Jones. So let me take a sip of something to drink before I get started. Make sure, you know, because this is going to be a long one. Uh-oh. Here we go. Here we go. We're, we're, we're buckling our seatbelts. Wow. What a premise, right? The story takes a cue from humanity's desire to find the proverbial fountain of youth promising a sci-fi spin on an age-old concept. Unfortunately, burdened by unnecessary and outlandish geographic improbabilities, along with extremely unlikable, air quotes, children, Miri, the episode, not the character, devolves into a race to save themselves and centuries-old brats from becoming decades-too-early walkers. The captain, however, must decide between noticing a crew member's legs using a dreamy camera lens or engaging in a subplot worthy of an episode of Dateline NBC only decades too soon. <laughs> Praise... Wait, I'm not quite finished. Praise must be given to the main cast for carrying on despite what I think is either poor execution of an amazing premise or the product of a concept ahead of its time. Oh, and I like Dr. McCoy. Yay! Some positivity! <laughs> Some inkling of positivity from Cal Jones. Because it was getting pretty dour there, man. Jeez. Louise. I did like Dr. McCoy. I seriously really <laughs> liked Dr. McCoy. Yeah, he was pretty awesome in this episode. But, John, um, well, after that, you know, uh, standing ovation worthy... Yeah, beats of the episode by Cal Jones. What did you think, man? Uh, well, Cal. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> I wow. told you I took thirty minutes writing that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was up there with the best of them, dude. That was pretty darn good. Hey. Um. Uh, so listen. <laughs> so much to say. I'm going to lightly say this was a, on the overall surface, very, very surface level, it was a decent episode. But it made me Dateline uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Which kind of caused me not to enjoy it as much. Wow. (laughs) Oh, boy. Like... Yeah, it maybe it's the sign of the times, and it. But now, like now, if that would have happened now, oh boy. Okay, I'm 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 gonna hold off. We'll we'll get into it later. Yeah, but, but just just yeah. 
<laughs> but I, I have, I have maybe I can quash some of your fears. But, but Cal Jones, if you, I don't think you can say any more after that rendition you gave us. But do you have anything yeah, else to add yeah, to your overall? Yeah, I, I agree with what Jonathan said. I think it, you know, on the surface was a good premise, and I wanted to like it. I wanted to really enjoy it. But what t- kept over and over taking me out of it was the children, the way they were portrayed, and I know they were supposed to be stuck, and I don't want to get, you know, get too much into it, but you know, I, I get all of that, but the way that the episode was directed for the actors playing the children came across so freaking annoying that if I were in the Federation, I would have been kicked out because I would have just saved myself and left them. And I, I know that's horrible. And I mean, that's what I said about you guys are going to kick me over this show because I'm like saying such horrible things. But it's true. They were bonk, bonk on the head, they, gal. Bonk, bonk. Bonk, bonk. Exactly. It was so. Man, Annie, man. I was like, oh, wow. Well. Blah, blah, blah. Where's Chris Hansen when you need him? Oh, God. Okay. Uh, but it was a good premise. Go. It was a very good premise. I love the idea of they were stuck and they did not keep evolving. And when they did, you know, grow a little bit, they died. I loved all of that. I just think the execution just was weird. Okay. Well, well, mm, well let me get my overall real quick. I really enjoyed this episode. Again, there are obvious problematic things going on. Honestly, for me, I had more of a problem with the second Earth that was exactly like our Earth, but this we're in the same unit. That was just weird. I mean, they have a visual and it looked just like our Earth. And we leave with no explanation other than they're they're sending Starfleet to investigate more. Eh, I kind of didn't like that. So that was one of my bigger problems. The, The other issue that we're talking about, and we'll get into it, but I think that of course, of course, we you can look at it on the surface as being problematic of the Mary thing and Captain Kirk, but I just think he was putting on a charm to to solve the problem. I didn't ever look into it as him really being, you know, uh, interested in this Mary. I just thought he was doing it as a, a means to an end to figure out what the heck was going on. So, th- but we'll get into into more of that, but. That's just my overall thoughts. I, I did. I like this episode. I really liked it. I mean, I'm just saying we're in the time of Matt Gates and all right now. And, you know, Matt Gates. <laughs> Who is Matt Gates? The senator from Florida that got in trouble for think uh, think bad women. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go ahead though. This is. But let's get into it. Mm. <laughs> Hundreds of light years from Earth. The Enterprise receives an Earth-style SOS distress signal. In the words of Yeoman Rand, Earth. <laughs> but as Kirk iterates, iterates, excuse me, not the Earth, but another Earth. Another Earth. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, again, and guys, please elaborate, but this is my biggest issue with the episode of it. Of course, we're only eight episodes into the first season of Star Trek ever, but it just makes no sense that this other Earth is sitting out there all, you know, for all intents and purposes, the visual looks just like our Earth. 
I mean, obviously, if they would have did something like this, you know, in the later tracks, they would have gave us some reason. But they just like, oh, just another Earth. They're human. Humans evolving. Look just like our Earth, you know. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? That again, that was my biggest issue with the episode. So that's where, and and this is not a good thing, but that is where the episode started to go kind of wonky for me. And yes, I realized that that's at the very beginning, but when they close up on what I see looks like Florida, and I'm going, okay, what are? And I'm really sitting there, sitting sitting there thinking. What are the chances of when this great big continent on this planet starts breaking up in another part of space, hundreds of light years away, that it's going to break up exactly the way big humongous continent breaks up and makes, you know, the seven continents we have today? It just doesn't make sense. So I agree with you, Clarence. I just thought that that was not necessary. They could have easily have said, M-class planet, just like Earth. You can go down there, no problem. And I think it would have made the story better. You didn't need this second Earth that had nothing to do with the story. Any thoughts, John? I tend to agree with you, Kyle. It was the first season, and they were having budget issues? That's the best I could come up with. Mm. Easier to just put up a picture of Earth (laughs) than create a whole new one. Uh, But, you know... Until you guys mentioned it, I just kind of glossed over that part. It didn't bother me because I never really put much thought into it. Uh, because once we got into the story, I just kind of got sidetracked. Uh, but it just occurred to me that no one ever explained why this was an ex- identical Earth. Like, it probably would have helped to have a reason, you know? I, yeah. That just occurred to me. So that just kind of took my liking to the episode down even more. <laughs> um. Short of that, uh, like I said in the beginning, it, overall, it was a good, like Kyle said, a good premise. I think we could have evolved this story a few different ways and a little better to make it a great episode. It had potential to be one of the best episodes I've seen so far, but there's a lot of things went sideways. And it just seems like the actors and the directors were on two separate paths hmm elaborate a little bit on that well and i guess when the specific situation like with the miri and kirk interaction like i totally get it clarence like he was very much just trying to make her comfortable and charm and all of that but the way it was directed the way like camera angles went and the time they spent on facial it made it seem like something else well, well, let's let's just go ahead and get into Mary specifically. And I I do agree that seems like what they were going for. And also we were playing on the fact that Mary was coming into puberty. So, you know, that's the age often when girls really start, start like boys and vice versa. And so they were really playing up that aspect. But even so, I still felt like it was just. Uh, a means to an end for Kirk. But again, even with that, you mentioned this up top, but you throw in, well, I think Cal mentioned it in his beats, but you throw in the fact that they have this thing where uh, uh, Yeoman Rand is jealous of the girl. (laughs) 
So I thought right. that was, I thought that was interesting. And then they like flip it around by the end of the episode where the girl is is jealous of Rand. So yeah, they they were definitely playing it for everything it was worth. I can't even fault you for even being on that note because I was too in large part. And, and you know, I, I have to defend Kirk just a little bit in my even though I was trying to be a little funny in my Dateline NBC comment, I never saw him as being the pursuer. I saw it as the reverse, actually. I saw Miri more as the pursuer. And you layer on top of that the womanizer that the Captain Kirk is known for being. Well, the presumed yes, womanizer. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. That, that you think, <laughs> I don't know if he's a womanizer. <laughs> I think Matthew and would queen. have actually with that. And a quick side <laughs> note. So I know it's kind of off track, but I, I, I'm kind of starting to agree with Matthew a lot more. I've I've been watching TNG a lot more, and uh, Commander Riker is more of a womanizer than Kirk ever was. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, just saying. Yeah, Riker but was yeah, a Kyle, Riker was a true player, man. Oh man, we I I can go into that and just all the things he's done. But anyway, uh, I I do I, I agree with Kyle. I I give Kirk credit, and I mean I I absolutely have no problem with Kirk. It's just. It was a distraction because the overall focus was kind of directed in that area, not through Kurt. He did his job like he did a great job, but it just seems like the production or the direction of it was kind of pushing it too far toward that way. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I kind of that's kind of why I didn't enjoy it, because I just kind of I found myself a lot of times saying, "Ooh." That's just kind of touchy, you know, like that's just uh, why do we keep focusing on this. Why do we keep going back to this? I think I may have an answer for your question, Jonathan, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead. But since you asked the question, you, you just said, why do we keep going back to this and why do we keep focusing? Well, maybe this is more focusing on the children. So I may hold this comment until we get into the children. Yeah, but but Miri, um, p- portrayed by Kim Kim Darby, you know she is again. If if Kirk is using her to, as a way to get more information about what's going on, uh, she certainly provides very vital information um, for for Kirk and the away team to unpack to to get to you know the the bottom of what's going on. But but let's let's back up just a bit. <laughs> So, um, you know, they get the distress call. They go to Earth. Um, you know, Bones takes a jab at their scenery or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and then he gets attacked. <laughs> and Kyle, you mentioned it in your beats of some, <laughs> I think you said Walking Dead or something like that. But what? Again, <laughs> we, we get this introduction of this this this. Cra- seemingly crazy guy uh, that that goes ham over this tricycle. Uh, it broke, whatever he said. <laughs> um, but 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 certainly it, it to me again that that goes to laying great groundwork for what we're dealing with for the rest of the story. I just want to know your thoughts on this scene real quick before I move on. And, and it's specifically, John. I want to point this to you because because Kirk takes a few jabs at this guy, which I thought was totally unnecessary. Uh, Set phasers to stun? Question mark. Uh, Thoughts on this opening scene with McCoy getting attacked and the crew punching this guy or whatever. Crazy man. (laughs) Well, first thought was 
I guess further on down, I started to question this, but you know, Spock takes some readings when they first get there and he's not reading any life. Hmm. How was that? But I mean, they never pointed out like why that would, wouldn't show up on readings. Yeah, but I'm anyway, mu- I must've missed yeah. that. I had to go back in. Hmm. Yeah. He, he did a little scan and he just said no life. Basically. I don't remember the exact words, but yeah, the, the punch, the punches kind of caught me off guard. Cause I thought like most Star Trek episodes in that situation, you know, stun them. That's just what happens. <laughs> he whooped his tail. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was just itching for a fight, man. I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, in in that situation, I'm okay with it because, I mean, the first step he went was to, like, physically, like, pull the guy off him. Yeah. Like, they didn't immediately go to, let's shoot him. Like, they went to, let's see if we can physically physically subdue him. Well, then they realized they couldn't. And I guess at that point, it's just kind of pointless to stop and grab a phaser because he may start attacking while you're doing that. So I guess the bit, but then you go into like the second punch and the third punch. I mean, at certain points, I guess somebody should have pulled a phaser. Yeah. But, but this goes directly into after they, you know, get the guy off, punch him a few times, he's down and he dies. They find out that, or Bones finds out that he has an increased metabolic rate and he's seemingly aged centuries in minutes. And again, it kind of sets us up for the rest of the episode and we get to Mary. Mary gives us some more information about about what's going on, about the grups. Did we immediately know what she was talking about when she said grups? Grown ups? No. Yeah, grown ups. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was talking about alien race or something that it came and destroyed them. <laughs> yeah, but let's just get into the overall thoughts on the the plague that they had and. Again, they were in this pursuit, um, genetically engineered pursuit to live to live longer. Yeah, I think you mentioned the fount- fountain of youth, Kyle. Um, and we see, and again, that's one of the reasons I really like this episode because isn't this what we would do as humans? Oh, absolutely. And isn't right. isn't this what we're doing as humans anyway with the medicines that we create? Because if you look at it from the the span, even in the last 150 years of humans, you know, in society now, our lifespans are increased because of the medications and the things we're able to do. Yeah. There's no telling what they've created in a lab right now that we don't know about that could like just decimate everybody. And that's part of this story, which it feels timely in a lot of ways that I found uh, really, really interesting that they were going uh, the, through these series of viruses that would prolong their life, which interestingly enough, it does work until they reach a certain age and then they're just toast. You know, it's almost <laughs> like the genie's wish and, you know, you get your wish, but it was not the wish you intended. Yes. <laughs> yes. Please specify specifics. Yes. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, because that, um, as Kyle say, we, we're doing this today and like uh, and it's things going on that people just don't know that I think like, have you guys heard of like this thing called CRISPR? Yes, CRISPR, which That's is gene like, editing, gene splicing is pretty, pretty interesting. Right. Like they're studying how to eliminate certain things from people's DNA that causes diseases and sicknesses. And I mean, you fast forward that 100 years, I mean. Then we start figuring out the DNA that 
causes aging or maybe we can get rid of that or you know what I mean? and then who knows where that goes yeah and then we end up in the same situation just not on earth two on earth one yeah it's it's very interesting and very very scary at the same time i mean just just a very poignant episode and, and we find out that they for every month of aging is a hundred years for for these kids which um I just thought that was that was very interesting. And they've been here. They've been there 300 years uh, on the planet as kids, which is bananas. That's crazy. Um, mm, Yeah. Do you think it would have been perceived different? Do you think we would have liked it? And I guess I'm talking more since Clarence, you seem to like it a little bit better than Jonathan and I did. So maybe this is more directed at Jonathan. If, the way this was presented was not that the children are centuries old, but they're still children, but the children were aged. They still lived long, but you had people in their 60s or 70s portraying these characters, but they're acting childlike. Do you think that would have changed your perception of the story? Liked it less, more? Does it matter? What do you think? Mm, I don't think it would have changed one way or another. Uh, so my biggest problem, and I know I keep going back to this, but like I said, it just made me uncomfortable. Was that internet interaction between Kirk and Miri? Now, if they would have made her an older character, then maybe it'd have been better. Uh, and also, what also distracted me was. You know, I get it that these are children that pretty much were raising themselves. They hadn't had an adult influence, but they kind of made their mental state seem like they're regressed. Mm, Well, but they had no adults around to foster any knowledge or growth. They only had each other, which not to say that, like, if we grew up with just kids, it would just be craziness and shenanigans which it probably would be but i think i'll let you go ahead but i think they were going for a very specific story uh that we've heard many times and i'll mention it uh after after you're done but it's something when i say it you're just gonna like snap okay yeah that's what we're doing but 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 go ahead go ahead well i'm just saying i just i felt like they their mental state seemed like it was just very i don't know the word i'm looking for the right word to say lot it was locked as a child. They didn't progress further. They were locked as children. Well, not even locked as children. Like they were like children, but I'll just say Mm. they made them out to seem like they were all mentally challenged. Mm. (laughs) And that, that was a problem to me. Like, I, I feel like even if you did not have adult supervision, but after 300 years, you know what I mean? I think just naturally you your brain progresses you may you may not be able to speak correctly you, you get what i'm saying you survival will force you to evolve and become better whether you physically get better or your language skills get better it makes no See, difference i think where we're going down is a discussion of nurture versus nature and you're on the side of nature but i think i've got to swing toward clarence's idea of nurture that they've not if if I don't have anyone to teach me to speak better, then I don't know that my speech is not good. Does that make sense? What is 
It does. And I'm not I'm not concerned with the speech. That's what I'm saying. It's not not about the speech. I understand that their language skills didn't progress. But you're talking about like sh- the shenanigans and stuff. Right. Which, like, which, I mean, which I'm going to I'm going to equate that to Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, because these these kids are like the Lost Boys to me, like out there on their own, doing what they want to having fun. Uh, that's basically what these group of kids are in my Ooh. mind. Oh, cool. Very cool. Keep going. Sorry to mean to interrupt you. No, no. I mean, I mean, that's just that's just it. I mean, I was a huge fan of the Fox, uh, uh, Peter Pan, and well, I forget the name of Adventure Peter Pan. The show in the nineties, late eighties, nineties, and that's what the Lost Boys were for the most part. Now, of course, Peter is like super smart and can do anything, but they were kind of, <laughs> you know, just a bunch of. <laughs> Just a bunch of kids. Why don't I take you down another avenue? You're very spot on because I, in one of my uh, versions, I did have um, Peter Pan. I mentioned Peter Pan in my thing that I said earlier, but I did some research about when this episode came out, which is in 1966. And Clarence, we've been talking recently on discussing who about Doctor Who references were in the 2012-2013 series, and they're talking about Twitter, and they're talking about Flickr and different things that are seeming a little bit dated. So I'm referencing that because it seems like the things we see as entertainment take cues from what's going on in entertainment or in society. I find it really interesting that this came out in 66 when... There was a 1954 book by William Golding that in 63 was turned into a movie, which is Lord of the Flies. And we all know that that's about a group of boys on an island and they're Hmm. forced to fend for themselves. I just think that that's... I've never seen Lord of the Flies. Neither have I, but I've had to read the book in school, or at least I was supposed to. Anyway, I do at least know (laughs) what the story was. That said, or some of it, that said... Group of boys on uh, on an island, and they basically are fighting against themselves. But it's this society that they build as children over being marooned on this island. So I just find that really interesting. 63, we have this movie. It's popular. And then 66, we've got this story about children being marooned. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. The kids were very annoying. They were smart in some aspects, and in some aspects, it seemed like they had no growth. So, yeah, it was just really weird seeing the kids and the stuff they were chanting. I mean, just the most hilarious thing. Mr. Lovey Dovey, buck, buck on the head, <laughs> you know, it's... It, it, I think it worked for me, though. For some reason, it all worked for me. I thought it was interesting. And maybe I'll take that to talk a little bit about the overall production of the episode. I thought everything in the episode, I know some of the scenes were updated for the special, the uh, remastered edition, some of the visuals. But I just thought the production, the music, everything was 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 spot on in in, in my opinion. And even the look of the kids, I thought it felt very real and true even though some of the kids look really crazy they look really crazy (laughs) no and i agree with you the production was was a perfect for me like i i had no issues with any of the production it was it all actually looked really believable and really good um and i I mean the kids weren't a bad part as 
just, you know, I guess it was a distraction. And and the distraction kind of took away from a lot of it. And I've got to agree with Jonathan for a moment, which is the kids were only doing what the kids were directed to do. They didn't just go out and act the way that they did just because they wanted to. It was because someone said, you need to go do and, you know, act like this and do this. So that came from the direction, not from them just making it up, I'm sure. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So let's let's just shift a little bit and talk a little bit about who I felt like was the star of the episode. I mean, we can we can say that Kirk was a star, which he obviously was. But but also Dr. McCoy with with Spock at his side working to a solution for this this um, this virus. Do you mind if I say something real quick as kind of uh, help segue to that? Yeah, because I feel yeah, like I'm certainly. being a little negative and I don't like, you know, saying a lot of things negative. So I want to say something positive, which is and I think it'll go right into what you're about to say, which is it was the acting by all four cast members to for me that helped me maintain a steady foot in the story as much as I was irritated by the other and whatever other things we've been talking about. Honestly, these characters are these actors still with what they were given made it believable to me so much that I even liked, like I said, Dr. McCoy. So there you go. And just to kind of agree with Kyle, the acting was very much appreciated. And believe it or not, my one of my favorite performances was uh, Miri's character. Hmm. Like, I thought that was some great acting yeah. on her part. Yeah, very freaking believable, dude. Very believable. Yes. Like, if all the children were kind of on her wavelength, like, that would have been good for me. Like, how did she get that way? Yeah. Well, she was acting more so, I think, as the leader, her along with Jan, which I had problems with Jan. He got on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think was, that was the point. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he did his job. <laughs> But but those two acting is kind of like the leaders of the of the group. I thought, you know, like you said, the acting for for uh, both of those guys were, were spot on, were freaking amazing. Um, and, and again, like Cal said, like our principal characters, I feel like this episode had some of the most memorable lines <laughs> that I've heard in a long time. <laughs> There's one point where um, uh, Mary acts. Kirk, uh, are you feeling all right? He's <laughs> just like, he goes off. It's like, no, I don't feel all right. None of us feel all right. <laughs> Can't you see what's going on? <laughs> he just goes all in, man. It's, it's so many great lines in this episode. I just love it. Just love it. Now, I know we're here to review the doctor, and I don't want to take away from McCoy, but I didn't get as much McCoy as I would have liked to have gotten in this episode. Mm, well, I. I certainly get that, but even even though we didn't get a lot of them, I feel like it it made me reevaluate our Doctor's Orders review from Flocks because although we got a lot of Flocks in that episode, I didn't feel like we got the true nature of Flocks in action. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense, so it, it kind of makes me want to go back and do another Enterprise episode because yeah. even even with this one with the limited amount of Doctor McCoy we got. We did get to see him taking in these notes 
and formulating a cure for this virus and even make uh, possibly making the ultimate sacrifice at the end to see if it works as as their mental capacity goes to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> he I, I just feel like what he accomplished in this episode, even though we didn't maybe dive into the details of that as much as we would have liked. I feel like what he was able to accomplish was just amazing. Oh, I agree a million percent with what you just said. Well, I mean, he was McCoy was awesome in this episode. Like, I don't want to take away from anything that he did. I just wish they would have focused more on the details. It's like every time we got to a point where we could focus more on what he was doing, we were distracted by another action. Mm one way or another. Like I, I I would get interested in how he was analyzing notes and all that, but you know, some, maybe the ship contacts, like it would have been better if the, you know, McCoy was in contact with the ship instead all information was going through Spock mm. as far as the computers. And I get it. He's the science officer. Yeah. But it, it would have, if it would have focused. So it kind of distracted me from McCoy. So I, I started kind of looking at it more as Spock was doing oh. a lot of it. Yeah. And I get that. I I think one of the reasons they did it that way, because even though it probably should have all been going through McCoy, um, they wouldn't have had anything Harley for Spock to do in this episode if they didn't have him kind of being the liaison for the ship's information, you know, because because he wouldn't have had much of anything to do in this episode other than that. He could have been the captive of the kids. (laughs) No, we have to have the female (laughs) captured so the captain can go save her. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, (laughs) So for me, you know, I can appreciate what you just said, Jonathan. I agree with what you just said. But for me, the thing that made me like Dr. McCoy in this episode was kind of the absence of him. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that as you've got all this other stuff going on. You've got all these distractions going on around him. But yet... He makes this decision where, you know, some could argue, well, you know, it's a 50-50 chance. But I took it as he knew that time was limited. He knew that his faculties were failing. There wasn't any more time to sit there and debate and think and whatever. And he took what I think is the ultimate Hippocratic oath. He possibly sacrificed himself at the betterment of the others, because he could have very likely have died from that, but yet have given everybody else the cure. They could have, you know, taken the cure from his blood, from whatever. He did not know what the outcome was going to be, but yet he acted in the betterment of everybody else, selflessly, quietly, by himself, no big deal. And I think that's why I liked it so much, was because we got so little of him but then so much of him in that one moment that we did. Yeah. Get. Yeah. And, and, and also I, th- I think that goes to how good a doctor he really is to where he is maybe out of desperation. You're right, Kyle, but also he probably was confident in what he was able to do and didn't really need the computers to, <laughs> you know, make a hundred percent sure everything was right. You know, I feel like there was a bit of confidence, but also desperation. I think I think more desperation and maybe more. uh, And he said it himself, like, you know, Spock said, you know, without the computers, 
this could be death in a vial. I don't know what yeah, his exact words. Yeah, good line. Be- uh, a beaker full of death. Yeah, a beaker full of death. But, you know, McCoy was like, well, one thing we know for sure is this disease is going to kill us. <laughs> so, I mean, and you're running out of time. Like, they had hours left like an hour ago. Like, yeah. at, at a certain point, you make a decision. And whether he did it because of his oath as a doctor or his values as a doctor or he did it just out of preservation. I mean, me personally, if I was standing next to him in that situation and I, I mean, you, easy to say that armchair quarterback. But, you know, I would just say, man, just give me the crap. Like, we're going to be dead soon anyway, because even if it doesn't work, we don't have enough time to formulate a new plan. So this is the only shot we have. Why why waste time? And that's kind of how I took McCoy's action. Not that he was doing it to sacrifice himself to save everybody, but it's just kind of like this is we're all done. And like they're I mean, at that point, I kind of looked at him as being more logical than Spock at that moment. Oh, yeah. And I also loved how. I know they beamed down some equipment, but he started work with the primitive, you know, 1960s lab equipment. I oh, thought, yeah, that was awesome. And what was, was that line? What was the line that Spock, <laughs> Spock was kind of commenting on how primitive it was? And McCoy said something I really liked. God, I can't even remember it. I should have wrote it down. Yeah, the quotes were great in this episode. Um, really, <laughs> really loved it. Um, and I guess, you know, we can wrap things up, but but. Again, at the very end, uh, well, right before we see McCoy make that sacrifice or do the logical thing, as John would say, (laughs) but we saw Kirk go to the hideout of the lost boys or whatever you want to call them, lost children, and (laughs) make, and, and he's doing his own bit of logic to try to persuade them to be a part of the solution and not, you know, just take their equipment and ladies and run. Um, any, I mean, we've talked about it. We mentioned the kids got on our nerves. They were acting weird and whatever. But any thoughts on that? Because I still feel like William Shatter, like he was awesome in this. <laughs> I mean, even though some of the lines were kind of may feel cheesy, but I still feel like his. I'm just loving Shatner's delivery on these lines. It's so great, and to try to make this feel somewhat believable, I really appreciate his acting in those moments. I really do. Yeah, the the acting again, and we've said it already, that acting was very much great acting in this episode. Like, I I can't say that enough. Uh, And actually, I disagree. I I really didn't hear that many corny lines other than, you know, the children's children lines. You know what I mean? They're children. So, I mean, of course, they're corny. But like like Kirk's whole speech when he got to their hideout, like I'm. I was on board with that. Like it was, it kind of drew me in. I was, I was listening to him. I was focused on it. He made a lot of sense. And he also had the presence of mind. And I mean, mind you, he's already, they've already said you have a, this disease is affecting them mentally. So like he doesn't really have all his faculties, but he was, he was intelligent enough to kind of break down what he was saying in a way that the kids would maybe understand. Yes. And he kept trying was, too. He did. He gave he one example. Trying. They didn't believe him. Then he like broke it down again until they got it. So I, oh, so good, so good. Even after they beat him across yeah. the head with everything in the room, <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was gonna punch that uh, that bonk bonk kid. <laughs> yes, it's like one kid he kind of threw around a little bit. I said, like, whoa. <laughs> 
Uh, the kid that like jumped up behind him uh, and started hitting yeah. him. He like grabbed him off the desk. Like, get over here, you little runt. <laughs> oh man, that was good. That was good. And then even even Mary in that little. I mean, she didn't have a big part in that scene, but just her way of trying to get across to the kids to listen was. Again, great acting, man. It was all great acting, which I think as we keep going over and over, the acting kind of made this episode good as it could be. Yeah. And, and, and for me, that's one of the things I love about Kirk probably more than any other captain is in, in there's a few more episodes we probably can, you know, view to see this. But he is the master, the absolute master at giving exposition that explains logic to get them out of a situation just right. just so good so good at that and that anytime he's doing that i just love it it's perfect you know the more we review the the original series episodes the more i get you know you always hear the hardcore trekkies especially the ones that came up watching tos like if you ever ask them who is the best captain nine times out of ten they'll say kirk yeah. And before I've actually started watching TOS, I never really understood it. You know what I mean? I've always, you know, here and there seen part of an episode. And I was like, eh, I don't know how good he actually is. But now that we're watching them and we're seeing the acting and we're seeing the way that Kirk actually handles himself and his crew and his missions, like I have to agree with him. Yeah. He is one of the best. Like he's very direct. He's very to the point. He's very much that leader that you I would think you would want and need in those missions, especially when it's like some of our first missions from Earth. Yeah, and it it definitely shows you it, it gives you appreciation for how different each of the captains are. And and I can think of certain situations where I'd want a different captain, you know, depending on what the situation is. Um and, and Kirk is always going to be my logic explanation guy he's going to be able to out talk <laughs> anybody 100 percent of the oh, time yeah. <laughs> gift the um, gab yeah <laughs> oh man and with that let's get our rating for the episode cal jones 3.5 i think just go back over the things i've said previously but for the concept i'm going to give it and for the acting 3.5 for the adults at least 3.5 <laughs> <laughs> John, what do you think, man? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Kyle and say 3.5. It's not that I really liked it, but I didn't hate it. And as we keep saying, the acting made it for me. So, And it was a good premise overall. So 3.5 for sure. I'm going to be a little more gracious. I'm going to go with a 4.2. Um, man, every time, each time I watch this episode, I like it more and more. Obviously, we have issues with the logic of this second Earth, which I know that that might be explained in some book or something. There's some other ancillary media out there that I haven't consumed. So I may do some research on that. But the second Earth was a little confusing. And, you know, we talked about the way kind of Miri is is swooned in this episode. Um, Not that it was bad itself but just felt kind of what you said dateline nbc kind mm-hmm. of dateline nbc ish uh, but but again like I, I i love this episode i this this is gonna be an episode if i just want to throw some trek on and watch it i'll throw this one on because i just feel like it it just has so many great points in it that i can just <laughs> feast on <laughs> but anyway guys 
Uh, let's do our parting gifts and see what each of you have been working on, listening to, reading, podcast related or otherwise. Cow. Hmm. I would say if anyone is a fan of Doctor Who, I would direct you to DiscussingWho.com to check out Discussing Who. All righty. What about you, Jonathan? Uh, man, I've been watching TNG, as I've mentioned, so that's been really great for me. But I also got caught up with the blacklist and watched the season finale, which was freaking amazing. And it freaking pissed me off at the same time. <laughs> but it also told me how much I absolutely love that show. Uh, and another great actor, James Spader, uh, one of one of my favorite actors and then we always mention he was in boston legal with william shatner and those two together i mean we always talk about kirk's acting and how great he is and you know then you get james spader you put both of those together man that is an amazing combo so uh blacklist for sure definitely watch that catch up on it it is an amazing show and star trek tng is a classic that you just shouldn't go without anyway oh yeah i'm going back through tng right now myself i'm I'm very much enjoying that so that's tng and blacklist from john that's discussing who make sure you subscribe from cal and for me i re-upped on my netflix a few weeks ago i watched all of the first season of away which it's good no spoilers i hadn't finished the season you, wait you know what got me to watch it it's, i know and i hadn't picked it back up since dude it, it's good but um i'm not spoiling anything but go watch for all mankind it's like 10 times the yes, show love in for all every mankind. aspect every aspect is 10 times the show just trust me on this gotcha. it's so good i, I just um, didn't want to pay for an apple product but well, i think you well, I think you get three months free if you have any type of iPhone. Um, but anyway, um, also, I've been I started watching Sweet Tooth, which is another Netflix original. I bounced off of it after two episodes. Not really my cup of tea. Seems interesting, but yeah. And I just started watching Cobra Kai one episode in and oh, my God, it's amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man, I love that show. Oh, I cannot wait to watch more. So hopefully I have more to report back on that. But the first episode is freaking solid. Uh, must watch. Must watch. As always, guys, thanks for joining. And if you want to hit us up, you can do that by emailing us at fans at discussing or hitting us up at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias. As always, guys, thank you for joining. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe. Back to base for debriefing and cocktail.
Hey everybody, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. Our team is excited to share with you our newest podcast and limited series, Debriefing and Cocktails, our official 007 podcast. From tropes to theme songs, we break down every single James Bond film, culminating with the long-awaited new movie, No Time to Die. Subscribe to Debriefing and Cocktails today via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. Visit realitybreached.com for more details. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.